And one of the stories I'd always heard over the years was how Elvis got involved to help raise money for the USS Arizona Memorial. So we did a whole film on that narrated by Jim Nance of CBS and Kyle Chandler. Elvis held a benefit concert at Pearl Harbor that helped bring the momentum back to the project to help get the USS Arizona Memorial built. An excerpt from today's guest, whose organization has produced 29 films on World War II for public television. The founder and president of the World War II Foundation, Tim Gray, is here, and I'll speak with him after this break. This is Point of the Spirit. Welcome back. I'm Robert Child. Today's guest heads an ambitious education initiative. His organization honors the legacy of veterans and survivors of one of history's most important time periods, World War II. Founder and president of the World War II Foundation, Tim Gray, joins us now. Tim, welcome to the show. It's great to be on. Thank you for having me. I uh, was looking at your website. You have quite an amazing roster of narrators on your films. Yeah. Tom Brokaw, Gary Sinise, Damian Lewis. Yeah, yeah, we've been really fortunate. We've, uh, over the years, we've asked a lot of people and um, a lot of them have said yes. And, uh, you know, it's um, just, it's been amazing. You know, Gary, Gary Sinise has been a, a, a constant contributor and, and Kyle Chandler too has been on Friday Night Lights. And uh, so we've been, we've been blessed in that regard. Now your interest in World War II is, is not recent. It goes way back to when you were a child I read. What do you remember? What the catalyst was for for your interest in in World War II? I think I picked up one of those World War II books that was kind of an encyclopedia of World War II, and um, I just got really interested in the the personal stories of the people who were kind of caught up in the war: the good, the bad, the ugly, um, those who fought, those who survived. Um, I, I found that time period to be one of the most fascinating in the history of the world, just because of the the people involved and and how the world was kind of you know really caught up in this conflict. Most of the world was caught up in this conflict, and and you had fascinating characters like Erwin Rommel and and um, and George Patton, but but then also right down to the the privates and the corporals um, who fought the war and. And saw it in a in a different way. No no two people who were involved in World War II experienced the war the same way, or two guys in the same foxhole saw the battle totally different. And um, and I was also really interested about the guys who came home and how they handled it. And that's not much different than today. I mean, there's PTSD obviously in in any war, but I was interested in the guys who um, really were on the front lines and, and, and how they came home and went on with their lives. Um, that generation was an incredible generation because they had been brought up in the great depression and they fought the war as a job. Uh, and then they said, you know, we're going to go on after this and help rebuild America. And they were so humble. Um, and there was a strong belief in their fellow man that, that you're, you're going to help me, I'm going to help you, and, and together we're going to get the job done. And I think people grav- gravitate back to that time because we're, we're sorely lacking in that today. And, and people, that's why World War II still resonates so much in books and movies and documentaries and everything else, because I think people would like in many ways to get back to that time when there was more of a belief in your fellow man and there was more belief in, in, in your country and just a lot of things. Um, 
And uh, so that's why when you go to Barnes and Noble, and, and that's why when you watch HBO and, and other networks and, and everything, there's always something new on World War II coming out, some new story, and people are still um, grabbing it up and, and devouring it for a lot of different reasons, um, because I think really we, we yearn for that, for that time period. Again, it was a horrible time period. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 60 to 70 million people dying, but it's the way this country came together for a common purpose. And that doesn't happen too often. It happens on maybe a December 7th, 1941 or, or September 11th, 2001. Um, and it's unfortunate that it takes these catastrophic events to bring us together as a country to kind of be all on one team. I agree. And uh, when I started working with World War II veterans, what struck me was how different they were. They're, they're very humble. They're bearing. Um, they're, I agree with you. They're a different breed. We did come together as a country for a cause. And I think, you know, September 11th, we did as well as, as a recent marker 20 years ago. It, it was a world-changing event, and in my own experience, I agree that people seem to never tire of World War II in mm -hmm. stories and films. Um, the, it, it's the most popular war, you know, quote-unquote, in, uh, in literature and film. Mm-hmm. It was very well defined. It was good versus evil. You knew who was wearing the black hat and who was wearing the white hat. And, and there really hasn't been a conflict since then. I mean, you know, Korea and Vietnam and, and, and the wars have changed. I mean, you knew who your opponent was in World War II and what they stood for. And you were fighting for freedom of speech and freedom, you know, democracy and all these other things. And everything kind of since then has been convoluted. So it was very clear what the, what the, the mission was. And um, I think people yearn for clarity in anything that they do. And you know, people call it the good war, and there's no such thing as a good war, especially when you talk to those veterans who were involved in it. They'll tell you that war is a horrible thing. And those are, those are the people who are most anti-war, those who have experienced war. Um, but yet in this case, even much more than you know, the Civil War, World War One. Maybe, maybe you have to go back to the Revolutionary War to find a war that was so um, clear in its in its goal, um, and um, so that's why I think. And it was so well chronicled in print and in video, and much more than any other conflict. And um, so that still all lasts. Speaking about you know films, your company has done twenty nine films for public television, and that's quite an effort, an amazing effort being a filmmaker myself, the amount of effort people don't realize that goes into a documentary is, is Herculean. <laughs> even, even, even your wives don't understand. No. You know, it's like, you know, they, they think you just all of a sudden pop these out, like, you know, and like it, magic, <laughs> magic, all of a sudden they appear. And, and uh, when you sweat over every frame of video, um, and every word that you write for, you know, a 55 minute or a 90 minute film, it can be quite um, physically and emotionally exhausting to to do that because you have to get it right. It's it's not a it's not a, a Hollywood feature. It's a documentary. It's got to be accurate. And uh, so yeah, there is a lot of sweat equity that goes into it that you know most people don't realize. Your latest film, I'm not sure if you've released it yet, but it has a very intriguing title: Elvis and the USS Arizona. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. We're always looking to tell different stories uh, about the war to get younger people involved, to get people who maybe don't know about World War II involved. So we spent a lot of time out at Pearl Harbor filming. We've been out there, I think, around 14 or 15 times to film. And one of the stories I'd always heard over the years was how Elvis got involved to help raise money for the USS Arizona Memorial. So um, we we did a whole film on that narrated by Jim Nance of CBS and Kyle Chandler. And it tells a story about how Elvis got involved in the efforts to um, help build the USS Arizona Memorial. The fundraising for the memorial was lacking in uh, 1960, 1961. And uh, there, I don't want to give away too much, but um, Elvis held a benefit concert at Pearl Harbor um, that helped bring the momentum back to the project to help get the USS Arizona Memorial built. So we were able to interview a lot of people who went to the concert there in 1961. We were able to interview people who were involved in um, other fundraising efforts for the memorial. Uh, one of the women who attended the concert was also, as a five-year-old, was a witness to the attack at Pearl Harbor, and then as a married adult, went back to the uh, went back to the concert to see Elvis perform there in 1961. So they're just, it's, it's a kind of a smaller known part of Elvis's legacy um, that he helped get the USS Arizona Memorial built. And um, so it's, it's really a good story and we're, it'll come out this fall on American public television. So we kind of look like, we kind of look for hooks like that, that are a little bit uh, personal and a little off the beaten path of just regular World War II stories. So you know, having Jim Nance and Kyle Chandler involved in the project really um, was an amazing, amazing thing. So we're excited to release it. We'll be back to the conversation after this quick break. You know, it's it's really uh, a privilege to be involved with a documentary about uh, the USS Franklin. And the Franklin was something that uh, that I'd always been fascinated by. And then producer Joe Small and producer-director Rob Childs come to me and say, look, uh, how about if you use your dulcet tones to uh, to tell us to tell the Franklin story? So as I began to look through the story, and as Rob and Joe kept sending me more and more material, uh, this thing was peeling like an onion. I was I was seeing more and more and more of a really really important story in naval history, uh, and one which hasn't been hadn't been told. So, uh, you know, they had to uh, throw a two-inch heaving line on me to keep me from charging right down here to the the studio and and helping to put this together. Captain Dale Dye narrates USS Franklin, Auto Restored. Available now on Amazon Prime. Now back to my conversation with president of the World War II Foundation, Tim Gray. Now, besides films, your company does other things. Nine years ago... You built a monument in Normandy of a prominent uh, American soldier. Tell us about that. Yeah, we um, we dedicated in 2012 on June 6th the Richard D. Winters Leadership Monument in Normandy. And, and most people know Dick Winters if they've seen Band of Brothers. They know him as the leader of, of Easy Company and the leader of the Band of Brothers from World War II. And, and um, towards the end of his life... Um, you know, Dick, Dick is a very humble man, incredibly humble. And um, when we made this proposal to him, we were very surprised when he said yes. But there was a caveat um, that one, that this be the only monument um, in his in his name built 
um, in the world. And the second caveat was that he re- that we were to recognize all divisions and core that took part in the D-Day invasion. So Dick didn't want this to be just about him. He wanted to make sure that we included the 1st Infantry Division, the 29th Infantry Division, who landed at uh, Omaha Beach, the 4th Infantry Division, who landed at Utah Beach, the 82nd Airborne, who landed. So, you know, he was uh, such a humble man that he said, I, I will okay this project in Normandy if you uh, recognize everyone else. And, you know, that that's what's Dick's nature. And so we built the monument um, within eyesight of Braycorn Manor, which is um, the spot on D-Day where he led the attack to take out the four guns at, at Braycorn Manor. And you can see Utah Beach from where the monument is. And um, so we dedicated that in 2012, Governor Tom Ridge joined us for the dedication ceremony and General James McConville, who was the commander of the 101st Airborne. We had about a thousand people there and it's become one of the most visited monuments in Normandy um, because of the Band of Brothers series. And what we hope is that that just inspires people um, when they go to see the monument to just want to learn more about World War II in general. There were, there were many Dick winners out there who were, were just right. the consummate leaders um, and HBO happened to choose Easy Company of the 506 of the 101st Airborne. But there were a lot of men like him out there. And, and that's what Dick wanted in this monument, to, to recognize everyone and to make sure that, that people knew the, the whole story of, of America and the Allies' involvement on D-Day. Now, did Dick Winters pass away in 2011? He did, correct. Yeah, so he wasn't able to attend no, he was not able. He never saw the monument completed. His wife, um, Ethel, was able to see it completed. She did not join us in Normandy, but she passed away shortly, um, a couple of years, I think, after after Dick did. And she was um, she okayed the monument as well. And um, it's it's probably one of the most important things that that we've done to go to Mont- to go to Normandy now and see families go visit the monument. And we just put lights on so it's lit up at night and you can see it all over Brilliant. that area at night. And uh, so it's just another way to introduce people to to the personal stories of of the veterans of World War Two. Now, along with that, you opened up a global education center two years ago in Rhode Island. What, what's its mission and what does it contain? Um, we have about 4,500 World War II artifacts in the center. We've got a library with about 600 books. We have a small theater. Um, what we're trying to do is get classrooms from the southern New England region to come down and visit. And we pay for their visit. We, pay, we pick up the cost of their bus. And um, when the kids come in, it's really at times their only exposure to World War II because it's really not taught much in the schools anymore, which is unfortunate because um, we can still learn so much from that generation. So for a lot of the kids who come in, they want to see the helmets, they want to see the uniforms, they want to see these items up close. It's a very tactile experience where we let them hold things and look at things up close. So it's just for the teachers who um, no longer have the time, unfortunately, in school to teach World War II. The, the goal is for them to come in and, and then go back to our website, watch one of our 27 films that we have on there, um, just to expose them. There's something they're just not getting in, in school anymore. I mean, they're, they're not even teaching the Holocaust in school anymore. And, and I find that when you don't teach things like that, That's surprising. Those, 
Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, and things like that tend to repeat themselves, and um, and you don't notice the signs, and and um, so that's what World War II is. World War II brought us a lot of a, of a blueprint that that we can still follow today, but also provides us with the warning signs that you know, things can still happen again, and that's why the United Nations was formed um, to prevent things like that from happening again. But if you don't know history or recognize the signs of history um rhyming with what's going on today then i then i think you you lose that um opportunity to to stop things before they begin and stop people before they get into places where they they can um corrupt and 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 can um you know become a singular power so i agree yeah you're um besides the education center your organization does so much uh, to educate about World War II. What's your next project besides the uh, Elvis and the USA Arizona film? What's your next big project you're looking forward to? We're starting a project in Merrill's Marauders that Tom Brokaw will be narrating for us. And again, it's a it's a unit that fought in Burma, all volunteers. They were kind of the forerunners to the 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 Green Berets and the the Rangers um, that we know today. Um, so they, they fought the Japanese in Burma. They were a hit and run, um, outfit and they had to deal with not only the Japanese, but the, the, the Burmese jungle and uh, malaria and everything else. And they were a select group of about 3000 guys who ended up fighting about 15 or 20,000 Japanese, um, in, in an area that never got much publicity after the war. Everybody knows about the war in the Pacific. Everybody knows about the war in Europe, but there was a war going on in China, Burma, and India, the CBI theater, they called it. That was, that was pretty horrific. And these guys volunteered a lot of the times for these missions to fight in these areas. And they just never got the due that a lot of the guys in, you know, on Iwo Jima got or guys who landed in Normandy got. And so we're trying to highlight that story. And there are only about um, seven of the original Merrill's Marauders who are left of the original 3000. So that that's our next project. And we have a film festival in Normandy that we do every year as well. Um, that we bring in actors from all over the world, a lot of the Band of Brothers actors and others, and we do a documentary film festival over there. So we we, we try to do a, as many things globally as possible, um, not only the films. And, you know, the, the, the big thing that we do as a nonprofit is we make all this available for free. And people can go on our website and watch all of our films for free. They can go do virtual reality um, experiences on our website for free. Um, they can take advantage of all the resources that we have on the website, and they're all free. And we we don't want to put up barriers for people to learn about World War II. So we raise all our money on the front end through sponsorships and donations. But on the back end, we make all of these available for teachers, classrooms, students, and the public because we want them to learn. We, we never want to put up a barrier where they say, I can't afford this, or why does it cost money? Or it's like the school visits. I mean, for a teacher, we don't want a teacher to say no to a school visit. And the first thing they're going to say is, well, it costs us $500 for a bus. And we're like, well, we'll pay for your bus. So that takes out the no equation. So you just find the time and you bring the kids and we guarantee you that the kids will come out of that better than they went into it. And, um, and that's been the case, you know, minus COVID in the last year and a half. Now, Tim, this today is a special day, obviously. It's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And a lot of people are reflecting back over the 20 years. How is your organization involved 
um, with keeping that history alive? You know, it, it's a very somber day. I think it's one of those situations where everybody remembers where they were. I remember exactly what I was doing and um, and, and that entire day. And um, so when we talk to younger people about 9-11, we, we always go back to Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, and talk about how history rhymes and how the situation was, was pretty much the same uh, in terms of... Um, being surprised and um and being shocked and how could this happen how 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 did people let this happen um you know do, do, do these people hate us that much so i always say you know history might does not repeat itself but it certainly rhymes so that that 911 really is is takes us back to to world war 2 so we talk about that a lot with the with the students who know about 9-11, but don't necessarily know about Pearl Harbor and how that threw America into war as 9-11 threw America into war. And I think it's uh, it's going to be one of those things like, like December 7th, 1941. This year is the 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. We'll be marking the anniversaries, the major anniversaries of 9-11 for the rest of our of our days. And um so there is a similarity there where history definitely rhymes and we try to explain the similarities and, and everything else. So it is, a, it is an important day and technology is different. And we actually saw it happen on our televisions, whereas Pearl Harbor, we only heard about it after on the radios and, and while it was going on on the radios and in newspapers and things like that. So the technology certainly is, um, provides us a window into 9-11 that we didn't have into December 7th, 1941. His organization is the World War II Foundation. And Tim, thank you very much for being on the show. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for asking me all those great questions. Absolutely. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining me. Next time, my guest will be Don Milne, founder of the website storiesbehindthestars.org. And our goal is we want to write an individual story about all 400,000 people who served the United States of America during World War II died during the war. And our, our goal is to have these all done by September 2nd of 2025. That's next time. And stay up to date with all the upcoming guests. Sign up for the Point of the Spirit Pipeline at robchild.net and follow me on Twitter at robchild. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spirit. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group. I wanted to take a moment to thank our growing army of listener-supported members. You make it possible to continue our mission of bringing you the best military history authors, filmmakers, and movers and shakers. If you're not a member yet, it's easy to join. It just takes seconds. Scroll down to the bottom of this episode's description and click the support link. You'll come to our anchor page, click the support button, then complete the brief form. It's that easy. We're planning loyalty perks and giveaways to roll out over the coming months for our early supporters who sign on before the end of the year. So don't wait. Become a member today, and thank you for your support.